O Holy Spirit, giver of life, come open up our hearts and minds, our ears, our entire being, up to the word you have to speak to us this morning. Speak through me. May, may your word be clear and preached this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I told you last Sunday that last Sunday was Laura and I's uh, sixth wedding anniversary. And uh, when, I th- when it comes to our anniversary, I always think about our wedding day, obviously. And uh, we got married uh, at a church in Maryland where Laura's from. And then we had the reception at, in her parents' backyard under, under a big tent. And it was great. It was hot, 90-degree day. Uh, but then people started pulling out their phones and getting nervous, lo- nervous looks on their face. And, they, and they're pointing to the, the Doppler map or whatever you call it. And, there's, and they're saying, Nate, a storm is coming in. I mean, these are, these are like the dark green ones that come across the map. Like, it is going to be bad. And so we're thinking, is, what's going to happen? Are we going to have to cancel this party? Are, we're going to have to move all these cars. So people are kind of getting in this frenetic kind of moment. Uh, and then, then it comes. The storm clouds move in. It goes from completely sunny to nearly dark. That is how big these clouds are. And then all of a sudden, it is downpour rain in the backyard. I think it's coming down like cats and dogs. Uh, and so for, for a moment, you might have thought, is this party going to be ruined? Are we going to be able to do anything? But the party was not ruined. What happened was everyone just shuffled into the dance floor. Everyone, 150 people, we packed onto this 40-square-foot dance floor, and the DJ turned up the music, and we danced for like an hour in a downpour rain. <laughs> you just had to be there. It, it, was, it was incredible. And, uh, you know, I love weddings. I love being part of weddings. And I think we all, we all have an interest in, in love and, and what happens on that wedding day. You know, love is something that, that captures our hearts. It captures the human imagination. You know, many people recently t- uh, tuned in to the royal wedding that just recently took place. Why? Because something about love, something about romance, something about that union between two people can capture the hearts and imagination of humankind. And I believe that's true because at the core of our being, we are made for love. We are made for love. We are made in the image of a God who is love himself. And because of that, we go through life craving the desire of of an infinite love, of an infinite love. And so we begin to ask questions throughout our life, you know, can 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 I be fully known all of my past, all of my sins, all of my failures, all of my weaknesses? Can I, can someone fully know that and still love me? Will God keep loving me? In spite of all of my consistent sin and failure, does his grace ever run out? You know, these are some of the questions that Hosea the prophet begins to answer for us. And we're starting a new series uh, that's going to carry us through the summer. It's called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. And so we're going in order. And so uh, today is Hosea. This is the first week. And, uh, you know, we can't cover all 14 chapters of Hosea. We got a baptism to get to, people. Okay. So I just got to give you a, a major message from Hosea. Okay. And, and I'm going to give you a sentence, but a sentence can't capture all of it, so we're going to dive in. But, but here's what I think the major message Hosea the prophet is trying to tell us. God's love persistently pursues us, pardons us, and purifies us. God's love persistently pursues us, pardons us, and purifies us. Isn't that good news? And isn't that a good alliteration? <laughs> See, I want you to have, I want you to remember that, all right? 
But, but the reality is this sentence cannot capture the depth of this story because we're going we're to have to talk about the story. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hosea. And I wanna, I'm going to walk you through kind of the first three chapters of what's going on because they, they set the tone for everything that Hosea has to say. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. All right, so Hosea, he's a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, somewhere about 740 to 700 B.C., about 700 years before Jesus comes into the world. And at that time, under King Jeroboam II, the economy was very prosperous. And so people started to build palaces and nice homes and, th and things like that, and there began to have a gap between the rich and the poor. Okay? And so on top of that, the Israelite culture, they began to adapt to the culture around them. And the biggest way that they did that is they began to worship different gods called the, the Baals. Okay, And this was a, a Canaanite god that people at that time, they believed that Baal was responsible for mainly two things. One, good crops. If you worship Baal, your crops will go, you'll get a good harvest this year. Your crops will be good. And if you worship Baal, you're, you will have plentiful children. So it's mainly about agriculture and fertility. That's what Baal gives you. And so people, uh, God's people began to worship both God, Yahweh, their God, and Baal at the same time. They were worshiping both. That's what's going on. And God isn't too happy about that, so he sends the, the prophet Hosea to give him a message. And so look at what Hosea says, or God says uh, as well in Hosea 1, verses 2 through 3. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. So let's stop right there. God is going to communicate a message to his people through Hosea. He's going to speak through Hosea. And at the very outset of Hosea's ministry, the very first thing God asked Hosea to do is go marry a promiscuous woman. Perhaps she was a prostitute. Perhaps she was just had a reputation for being promiscuous. We don't know exactly why uh, Gomer was known to be a promiscuous woman. But the reality is God is going to use Hosea, his marriage, and his family as a sermon illustration. He's using Hosea and Gomer as a message that everything Hosea is going to say, even the rest of the book, the rest of the chapters, everything needs to be seen through the lens of this marriage and this family. This is what God is communicating. So he tells them that. And the reason God has him do this is because he says the people are like an adulterous, unfaithful wife. That is the message I am sending. And so I want you to go marry this promiscuous woman. And so, so Hosea marries Gomer. He marries Gomer. And we don't get much detail other than that. Uh, but what we know of Israelite weddings at that time, it would have involved a lot of effort. All right? There would have been likely a year-long engagement or betrothal, uh, and that would have involved getting both sets of parents to sign a marriage contract. Now, I can imagine Gomer's father, who would have been involved in this, I bet he's totally shocked. I can't believe someone is going to marry my promiscuous Gomer. Yeah, I'm sure he's like, how, how, would, how come a man of God, a preacher, a prophet, has any interest in my daughter? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Hosea's parents are like, you're going to be a preacher? You're marrying Gomer? 
We know what Gomer's been like. We've seen her in the, in the village. We know where she's been. We know what the type of town, part of town she hangs out in. You're going to marry Gomer? Oh, okay. God told you. That's fine. You know, so they get, they, they get the agreement of both sets of parents. But then Hosea would have had to spend time preparing the home. He would have likely built an addition to his parents' house or, or something like that. And he would have been uh, building a home for Gomer and him to settle down and raise a family. And I can just imagine Hosea. I've been to Israel. It's hot. It's like a desert. And you can imagine him just wiping the sweat off his forehead as he's, as he's pounding the nails into this wood, building this home for him and Gomer to live in. And, and you know, maybe he's thinking, if I just build her this home, maybe she'll settle down. Maybe, maybe I can help Gomer change. Maybe I can help her be faithful and we can live this life together. Maybe he's, he's working up the hope of this commitment that he's about to give. And so... He's preparing this home, and then all of the excitement builds over this year, and they get to the wedding day. And this, this would have been at least a week-long celebration. They would, have had, they would have had a party. They would have had food. There would have been singing and dancing and festivities, celebrating the marriage of these two people. And it, they would have involved the typical commitments, the vows of commitment make, that they would make to one another. And when I think about Hosea in that moment, when he's standing before Gomer, I'm just amazed at, at this man of God. God told him to go marry someone he, that he knew to be a promiscuous woman. Someone with a shameful past, a, a bad background, someone that, based on her track record, was someone who was very likely not to be faithful in return to Hosea. Could he even trust the truthfulness of her vows that day? I mean, he knew the kind of woman... Gomer was. He knew her past. He knew her character flaws. Yet, Hosea pursued her anyway. He pursued her anyway. He marries her and he commits himself. He goes through that ceremony anyhow. Brothers and sisters, this is the message. This is what God has done for you. This is what God has done for us. He knows who we are. He knows everything about us. He knows our past. He knows our fickle hearts, our unfaithfulness to Him. He knows everything you've done, everything you've thought. He knows all of your, He knows your reputation, whether it's true or not. He knows your secret sins. Yet, He has pursued you. He has pursued you anyway. He knows it all. God knew everything about you, and He pursued you anyway. He knew what He was getting into when He saved you. When, he, when, he, when, when you trusted in him for the first time, when you called on Jesus' name, when you trusted in your heart that Jesus was your Savior, he knew who he was committing to. He knew what you would do. He knew the unfaithfulness in your heart, yet he committed and saved you anyway. So Jesus, he pursued us just like Hosea pursued Gomer. I mean, he, you know, God, you know, the Father told the Son, go, go marry this people who will be unfaithful. Go save this people who will despise you, and yes, they will even kill you. Go save them. Romans 5 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners in a thick of sin, Christ died for us, for you and for me. While you were yet a sinner, while you were far from God, God showed his love to you by dying for you. God's love persistently pursues you and pardons you and purifies you. 
And that's exactly what Hosea did. He married Gomer, this promiscuous woman. So soon after their marriage, the text says Gomer conceives, and nine months later she, she has a son. They have a son together. It's a happy moment for the couple, especially for an Israelite father. He has an heir. That's a great thing. And, but then something strange happens. God tells Hosea to name their son Jezreel. Name his son Jezreel. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But if I can just give you a little history, Jezreel was a city where a lot of bloodshed had happened in Israel. And in particular, if you remember King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who had led the people into worshiping Baal, King Ahab's house was destroyed by King Jehu and his army at the city of Jezreel. It was a bloody battle where lots of people died. And essentially, God is saying that the current regime is going to experience the same fate as that of Jezreel. They will be destroyed like the people who were at Jezreel because they have continued to be unfaithful to their God by worshiping Baal, by worshiping other gods, by worshiping idols. The same fate is coming. This would be like maybe one of us or one, naming your son Gettysburg. I mean, I mean, it would bring to mind all the sins of the nation's past. It would remind you of a bloody battle that happened. And it would be a prophetic warning that what happened to those people is going to happen to us if we continue to be unfaithful. I mean, you can just imagine Hosea calling out to his son in the village, Jezreel! And people going, what? Gettysburg? Why would someone name their son Gettysburg? That's just, that's just strange. You see, God was using Hosea's family as a sermon illustration, a message, a prophecy. He was letting them know that their unfaithful living was going to lead to judgment if they didn't change. It's a prophetic warning to Israel. And this is exactly actually what happened. Hosea prophesied it, prophesied it and it happened. Uh, at the time, the world superpower was Assyria, and they were coming. And in fact, they came and they destroyed the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And they deported them to Assyria. So Hosea's ministry has taken off, uh, and his first son is hopefully sending this message. And perhaps Hosea is thinking that things are going well. You know, he was married, he had a son, and maybe the son is bringing him and Gomer closer together. But then look at verse 6. It says, Gomer conceived again. And gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lohurama, which means not loved. What a terrible name to give to a daughter, right? I mean, that's terrible. Why would you do that? I would, I would never want to name any of my, my children not loved. But again, God is teaching the people a lesson. He's telling them, yes, that their relationship is, is in shambles. But perhaps I want to suggest to, suggest to you that there is another reason. Now, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, but, but, but hang with me. Notice with me in verse 3. Look in your Bibles. It says, it says, she bore Hosea a son, when he's talking about Jezreel. But then you go to verse 6, and it says, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. No mention of Hosea. Isn't that interesting? Perhaps Gomer is beginning to go back to her promiscuous ways. And maybe the people are asking, if Hosea is calling his daughter not loved, is, is he rejecting his daughter? Is maybe this daughter is now illegitimate. Maybe it's not his. Maybe Gomer is going back to her ways. She wanted the thrill of a lustful adventure once more. But nevertheless, Hosea stays with her. Look at verse 8 and 9. 
after she had weaned Lohurama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Loami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Let's break that down. Look what it says again. Gomer had another son. Not Hosea. Hosea didn't have another son. Gomer did. And then the child is named not my people. Or another way to say it is not my kin, not my family. Perhaps Hosea's suspicions became a reality. This wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't his kid. This wasn't his son. Gomer has been unfaithful again. Gomer, the wife that he had spent all that time in the summer building, building that house for her, the wife that he, he had risked his reputation as a, as a preacher for, the wife that he had been raising these two previous children already, she has been unfaithful. She's been with other men again. She's cheated. This is the whole point of the book of Hosea, that Gomer has been unfaithful and adulterous just like God's people have been towards God. Look what, go to chapter 2. 2 verse 2. It says, Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Man, it sure looks like Hosea and Gomer and God and his people, they're headed for divorce. The pain of adultery, the pain of cheating, saying this is, we are not in relationship right now. I mean, several years later, a few children later, a ministry career later, what was potentially a strong marriage is now on the brink of utter ruin, utter and complete ruin. We don't know how it happened, but Gomer at some point, she, she leaves Hosea and perhaps he asked her to leave. We're not sure how exactly. But Gomer ran off with other men. She ran off with other men. She w went outside the home, uh, leaving Hosea to be a single dad, three kids, as a, as a pastor, Perhaps Hosea thought that, or perhaps Gomer thought that she could, uh, she could get something more than Hosea could offer her. Perhaps these other men were, were better looking, we don't know. Perhaps they had more money than a prophet could make. Perhaps Gomer had no good reason other than she was bored and wanted something new. But the reality is she returned to her promiscuous ways. She left Hosea all alone. And maybe Hosea thought, man, how, how can I go on preaching? Is anybody going to listen to a prophet who, who, who can't keep his, his wife with him, who can't, who can't hold his own family together? Is anybody even going to listen to the message? Is anybody going to return to God anymore? It's all, it's all ruined. It's all gone. The pain must have been unbearable. Anger, rage, despair, jealousy, just distraught. It would have been, the pain would have been so intense. And this is how the Bible pictures God and his people. A distraught and jealous and angry at times. Yes, a loving husband despairing over his people, cheating on him repeatedly and over and over again. And this is why God has to persistently pardon us. He has to persistently forgive us because we are so persistently unfaithful. We go astray. But the good news is he keeps persistently pardoning us and forgiving us. You know, I've chosen, I've chosen to frame this sermon with a sentence to, on, the, on the pardon side, on the forgive side, because I believe that's, that's true to the message of Hosea. But if you read Hosea this week, which we asked you all to do, you will know that there were many chapters talking about all the sins of the people, 
and all the judgment that God had about the sins of the people, how they were unfaithful. So I need to spend a little bit of time talking about, well, how were the people unfaithful? Why were they unfaithful? What's going on here? And if it boils down to one thing, the reality is the people were unfaithful to God because they had rejected God for other gods. They had rejected God for other things, for other loves. They loved other things. Look at verse 13 in chapter 2. God says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot. The people forgot their husband, their loving God. They forgot all about him. You know, we might think it's strange to worship idols, to worship other gods. It's not really part of our, our culture per se. Uh, you know, but I, I want you to think about it for a second. Uh, you know, the people thought that the bales would, would give them good crops. It would bless them financially, in other words. And they thought the bales would produce for them lots of children, which they highly valued. And so what they were doing is they were, they were finding their security in a system. If I do certain things, if I sacrifice certain things, if I give certain things, then I'm going to get this back. It's putting your, your, your money in the, in the, in the, in the machine and, and no, getting something back, all right? That's what's going on. There's a system that they're trusting in. And I want to ask you, how often do we place trust in our systems instead of God? We trust that if we secure for ourselves good work and money, then security and happiness and self-esteem, our self-worth, it's going to be found in that we just trust that if we put our kids in enough schooling and enough programs and the right things and in the right music and the right sports, then they're going to turn out just fine. We trust in that. We trust that if we just save enough for retirement and we do all these things, then our lives are going to be fulfilling the rest of our days. The reality is, I believe we trust and worship our systems more than we do God. We worship work more than God. We worship the systems of our culture, the ideas of our culture more than God. We often worship money and possessions more than God. We sometimes worship, if it's possible, our children more than God. We worship our status and our success more than God. We worship our leisure, our recreation more than God. And it's all unfaithfulness because we forget where our love and our trust should be placed. It's in God alone. God alone. Nothing else. And the message of Hosea is that God's people are Gomer. We are Gomer. I am Gomer, the unfaithful spouse, the one who is always turning their love to other things, giving their heart to other things, giving your attention to other things, and forgetting God, forgetting to pray, forgetting to worship, forgetting to be thankful, loving so many other things of this world rather than loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all their mind, with all your strength. That kind of covenant, faithful, marriage-like love, that's what God requires and wants from us. And because the people are so unfaithful, Hosea's message is that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And Assyria is going to come in and they're going to destroy everything because of your refusal to repent. So that's what, that's what he said in verse 13. Punishment is coming. But then something else happens. Look at the very next verse, verse 14. Look what happens. God says, after this message of judgment, He says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her, Israel. 
I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days that she came up out of Egypt. You see, even though God is bringing judgment on his people, he is saying, I am never going to give up on you. I am going to allure you. He's going to win them back. He's going to bring them back. And he says he's going to bring them up to the wilderness where they came out of Egypt. He's saying, I'm bringing them back to your first love. Like that, like that wedding night, that engagement time, that, that honeymoon time. I want that kind of love back. And I'm going to do everything I can to pursue it. You see, Hosea doesn't let us separate God's justice from God's love. Some people tend to focus on one or the other. God's, God ju- is, is going to judge us or God just forgives us for everything. Hosea holds both intention. Yes, judgment is coming, but no, I am never going to give up on you. My love will always stay with you. I will be faithful to you. And when you invite God into your life, you're inviting a God who persistently pardons persistently forgives. You, you, can, you can keep running away. You can keep doing all these kinds of things, but he's going to keep on forgiving, keep on taking you back. How could God fully ever give up on you? He won't. He won't do it. He can't do it. He is the God of love. He will always keep taking you back. But he doesn't only forgive you and leave you there. You know, we've, you've heard that saying, God, God loves us as we, as we are, but he doesn't uh, he loves us enough to not let us stay there, right? He wants, to, he wants to allure them, to bring them back to that love. So the text says that she will respond, that we will be responsive to God, a heart that wants to love God. He wants to purify you from every other love, every other competing love in your life. He wants no rivals. He wants no other husbands. He wants, or no other brides. He wants one bride, one which is why we get to the good news of a Hosea 3. Verse 1. The Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now the raisin cakes, that's just something they would use to worship Baal. Even though they worship somebody else, even though they're with somebody else, God still loves them. Hosea and Gomer, they're estranged. They're not living together, they're not together. Their relationship is utterly broken. And God says to him, go. Go again. Get your wife back. Go love her again. Go pursue her again. Even though she's with another man right now. She's cheating on you right now. But go get her. Go get her back. She is your wife. And if Hosea had any complaints, it doesn't show it in the Bible. But I can imagine he might have thought, you know what, God? She's still cheating on me right now. This isn't fair. She doesn't deserve this. She's going to be a bad influence on the kids. God says, no, go. Show your love again. And that's what he does. Hosea goes. He goes to get Gomer back. And what he finds is he finds that she's fallen into some type of slavery. We're not sure exactly how she got there, but perhaps Gomer, she had pursued other men, expecting that they would provide for her, had more money, but the reality is they did not. So she falls into poverty, into slavery. 
And maybe she couldn't work the courage up to go back to, to, to go back to her husband, to go back to Hosea. She figured, there's no way Hosea would take me back. And when Hosea finds her, perhaps she is expecting that she is going to be utterly chastised and despised and humiliated all the more. But that's not what happens. Verse 2. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. So Hosea, he buys her out of slavery. <laughs> I can, can't imagine how this is playing out. He says, he says to the owner, hey, that's my wife. <laughs> and, the owner, and the owner says, I don't care who she is. The cost, the cost is this. The cost, the cost is, is, is 30 shekels. But Jose, he, he didn't have enough money. He said, well, I can, give you, I can give you 15 shekels and some barley. And so they, so they agreed to the deal. I mean, can you imagine? Hosea, he has to buy back the woman who is already his. She's already his. He's already his wife. And hasn't God done the same thing with us? The earth is the Lord's. Everything is God's. We are all his children. But yet he sent Jesus Christ into the world to buy us back out of our slavery. Out of our slavery to sin and evil in the world. And he buys back what's already his. He can say, they're already mine, but I will pay any price. And Hosea pays any price to get Gomer back. And then he says to her, we're not going back to the way we used to be. Things are going to be different. You're going to be faithful to me, and I'm going to behave the same towards you. Even though I might not want to right now, we're going to work on this thing. We're going to get this right. I'm going to be faithful. You see, Hosea's love was a purifying love. He loved Gomer enough to go find her to get, but not just to find her, but he got her out of her slavery, and then he's going to, I'm going to help you overcome your unfaithfulness. My friends, this is what Jesus does for us. He buys us out of slavery, and then he says, I'm going to help you. Things aren't going to be the same with us together anymore. I'm going to work on you with your unfaithfulness. I'm going to be faithful towards you, and I'm going to help you be faithful towards me. We're going to be faithful to one another. Love me. And so, knowing that this is what Jesus has done for us, look at how chapter 3 ends, verse 4 and 5. The Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Now pause, he's essentially saying, he's prophesying about the exile. They're going into exile, Assyria is coming. Verse 5, afterward the Israelites will return and seek their Lord, their God, and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Hosea says they're going to seek God and David their king. Now pause. Now that's really interesting. Friends, I told you Hosea lived in the late 8th century B.C., around 720s or so. King David, he's been dead a long time. He died in 970 B.C. This would be like saying America's going to come back and, and hang out with George Washington. What's that, that, this makes no sense. My friends, Hosea is not talking about the literal King David. He is prophesying 750 years beforehand the coming of the new King David, Jesus Christ our Lord, who came into the world to be our Hosea to our Gomer, to redeem us, to buy us, to win us back. Jesus is our King. 
the one who will pursue us, who will pardon us, who will purify us from all sin. And in return, he wants our faithfulness. He wants your faithfulness. I, I have to be honest, Jesus wants all of your loyalty. He wants 100% loyalty. I can't, I can't mince that. He wants 100% of your heart. He doesn't want 90. He doesn't want 50. He wants 100. He wants loyalty, faithfulness, love, commitment. That's what he wants. And he's going to keep on. He's going to keep on you about it. He's going to keep being persistent. He's going to keep pursuing you. He's going to keep forgiving you. But he's also going to keep purifying you until you are made holy forever. And one day we will be made perfect and we will spend eternity with him as his purified bride. Friends, today, would you let Jesus pursue you? Would you let him in to every part of your life, to every part of your heart? Don't be a gomer. If you've been a gomer, know that he has so much forgiveness, but he also loves you enough to not let you stay there. He wants to purify you. Are there other loves in your life? Are there other lovers? Are there other things, other things you give your attention to, your affection to? Are there rivals to the throne of your heart other than Jesus Christ? Would you lay those things down today? Would you surrender them to your king? Return to Jesus, your Hosea. Be faithful. He won't give up on you. He will be faithful to you. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are so faithful to us. And God, we just admit that we, that we are so, we are so unworthy. We have been Gomer. We have been the unfaithful ones on the side of the relationship. God, our sins are so great, if we could number them, we couldn't count them. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our waywardness. And God, not only that, would you heal us? Heal us of our waywardness. Heal us of the, the ways that we don't love you with all of our heart. The ways that we turn to other things. God, pursue us. Keep loving us. Keep purifying us. Complete the work that you've started. The sanctification that we need. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. We can't do it on our own. And God, may we always trust that your faithful love will always be with us, no matter what. We thank you for that promise and that good news. In Jesus' name, amen.